You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Mitul Shah. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Kelly Hopping on product-led growth strategies. Kelly is the CMO for Gartner in Digital Market Division, where she's responsible for a team of 120-plus marketers and content creators globally across three customer-facing brands, Captera, GetApp, and Software Advice. Prior to joining Gartner, Kelly served in various marketing leadership positions at Rackspace, AMD, and Dell. Kelly, super excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm, ha- I'm happy to be here. So Kelly, as, as we were you know discussing in our uh, pre-interview sessions, you know about how the how the industry is changing, how the consum- consumption model is changing, can you explain to our listeners why user reviews become so critical for business growth, especially for product companies? Well, I mean, you think about this year is a perfect year to highlight how much uh, how hard it is to find factual information through media or through advertising. Um, You know, this year has been tough in terms of believing anything that comes out of the news. Um, Not just this year, years in the past, that's just news. I mean, advertising is always going to be skewed. It's always going to tell a certain story. Um, So there's always a trust factor that has to come. I mean, over time, I think as as, uh, buyers or users experience a brand, you you develop that trust over time. But as you're trying to attract new users, um, people just are skeptical these days. And so what they do is they trust people like them. They trust that um, people who have experienced a product, people who think like them, I think it's the rise of Yelp and Bazaar Voice and TripAdvisor and sort of all these big channels where folks are leveraging uh, other people's experiences to kind of simulate their own and make up their mind through that rather than respond to advertising. I think advertising introduces a certain amount of awareness and familiarity, but it doesn't necessarily always take you to the point of of credibility and trust. And so I think that's where the product can really generate that for you. It gives you a chance to, um, and the product in our case is reviews, right? It's, um, we call it, you know, user generated content. So it's content that users have put together the reviews, their experience with the product, their likes, their dislikes, the features they appreciated, Um, the usability, the price, some of those things that you're not going to get from typical marketing collateral um, or advertising. That's, that's such a, you know, that's such a new shift and new paradigm, right? For a lot of companies, especially for enterprises who are used to doing, you know, the lead gen, the branding in certain ways, right? If I'm trying to build a brand and I'm going to go out and put an ad or I'm going to essentially go and put a big billboard or hoardings, you know, or maybe I'll use social media as, as a way to kind of do that. From there to this whole aspect of user-generated content and you know, what I call consumption-based economy, the data becomes a product, you know, and that has direct correlation and impact on your brand or, you know, on your lead gen, on your growth strategy, you know, uh, 
so somebody who is in a front row seat, who's in leadership position, looking at this, what does the future look like for this? Oh, I think that marketing dollars are going to be spent in a very different way than they have been in the past. Um, because they understand that the user experience is very different than the past, just like you said. So, um, you know, in the past, to your point, we would spend marketing dollars on billboards or, you know, for enterprise, since you talked about that specifically, or airport ads or, you know, uh, a full page in, um, you know, in Fortune magazine or the Wall Street Journal or whatever it happened to be. And you just realize that those dollars, one, they're not measurable because anything offline is just not attributable, which makes it really hard to justify, especially in, you know, a fluctuating economy or a potential recession like we've been in. Um, it makes it really hard to kind of prove the ROI on that type of investment. So companies are looking for more uh, measurable, attributable ways. And when you think about the way that people are receiving, they're not receiving those billboards anymore either. Um, they're not responding to those in a way that we would expect. Their their whole consumption model is happening on a computer screen in front of them. And so they're going to start their search there through Google or through Bing. They're going to start um, digging into sites. They're going to figure out the sites. That, now, the brand recognition may tell them which link to click on in their Google SERP. They may say like, oh, that one sounds uh, you know, not credible. This one, I've heard of that brand, so I'll click on that link but they're still going to start, start it digitally. And so then when you go, then you're looking for what do people think? What are the reviews of this product? What are people saying about it? What are some of the experiences? Are there demos I can watch online? They want hands-on tangible experience. And so as, you know, as a marketer, what we're looking at is thinking what, instead of a billboard strategy, we're thinking of what's our influencer strategy. How do we get our name across more, uh, influencers in the market, right? There are people in the real estate space that check, real, that follow real estate blogs, or people that are in the accounting space that follow accounting blogs, and they're looking for the, those blog bloggers, um, for example, or um, or certain you know uh, writers out there. Those are the people they trust, and if those folks are endorsing products, writing about those products, they trust them. So it's not just even in user reviews and ratings of the product. It's also the ecosystem of the the whole uh, environment. And what are they recommending? Because they've probably tried a bunch of products as part of their model. And so for, you know, as a, me, and Mark, me as a marketer, I'm looking at influencer strategy. I'm looking at um, trusted sites. I'm looking at generating as many user reviews as possible. And again, positive, negative, it makes no difference in my business. I just want to make sure that we get the volume so that people can find what they're looking for when they're looking for specific answers. But it's, it's much harder, right? I mean, like previously doing an ad and doing an airport ad or whatever, billboard, you know, practically I can throw some money at the problem and, you know, try and solve that. In this, I have to influence the influencers, make sure the right people are writing the right reviews. And if there are negative reviews that has, you know, that could have a direct impact on my branding and my strategy and, you know, my growth. So how, you know, how, how have you seen the company kind of managing it or how are they thinking about it? Because again, this is not something they can just throw money at. Yeah. Um, in some ways they can, but the thing is, is where they used to throw money at advertising. Now they actually need to throw money at making their product better. Um, it's actually a benefit for users that we are, sort of demanding and expecting the best possible product now. 
because we have enough sources of information and referrals to know if it's not a good product. And so there's so much pressure. Um, I mean, before any of these reviews came about, somebody hated your product. You were like, well, they'll just never buy it again. And you just, you know, discounted them as a one and done. They're not going to be a repeat buyer. No problem. Now you make a buyer mad and that's going to live on in eternity because that person's going to share a review. They're going to talk. They're going to post something and gets picked up in organic. Um, and you can get really, um, you know, you can, your reputation can get squeezed pretty quickly um, because everything is digital and shareable, digital and shareable. Um, and so, uh, so now I think it really puts that pressure back on the manufacturers or the product producers or the coders or developers or whatever the type of product is to create great products. And if they can't, or if they're in the middle, even acknowledging to those negative reviewers that they messed up. I mean, there's a lot of brand credibility that comes in, in products just sort of stepping up and saying, you're right, that's a feature that was broken. We're, that, we're getting that incorporated in our next uh, engineering sprint and we'll have that fixed by the end of the year. We'd love to roll out the next iteration to you for free. Like there is a lot of things you can do from a goodwill and PR perspective to actually humble yourself and fix the product and reward your negative reviewer for giving you that feedback, allowing you to fix your product and then, re- and then you know, delivering it back to them, hopefully, and turning a negative review back into a positive review. Mm, that's, that's very interesting. Does this, have you also seen that this becomes like a competitive, you know, intelligence or competitive, I shouldn't say intelligence, but sometimes competition trying to sabotage each other by using review as a means. And if that does happen, how do companies fight that? It's hmm. a great question. I think the answer is yes. On the first part, um, I think folks do that. Um, you could always kind of go tit for tat on that because if there's one on one side, there's certainly one on the other side. It's just about whether the co- the companies are going to engage in that level of of I don't know, banter, <laughs> um, you know, whatever we want to call that, that competitive sabotage. Um, but we certainly see it. You know, I've seen it in, and we we have that tempt that temptation all the time, right? We'll get a review that says something like, you know, I've loved using Captera. It's been the best experience. I much prefer Captera to G2 because of XYZ. Um, and they'll provide some answer. And we look at it and we're like, wow, that's awesome. And we're like, that'd be great to use in a press release or in, and then we're like, no, like this is one review. Like we're not going to use this. It's out in the world. Um, we don't need to promote it. And so we would certainly never do that. Um, but it's tempting because there is such great nuggets. You can find any story you want through the data if you want. Um, but it's about sort of, um, you know, r- like looking for the themes across that data instead of pulling the onesie twosies out and using it in a negative, negative light, you know, everything in, in context. Mm, got it. Yeah, because we, we went through an, an experience in that vein and it was, you know, we were internally trying to figure out and think about it, like, how do you combat that? I mean, how do you, because you don't know who posted it, right? Sometimes, right. or many times. So, you know, how do you figure out that, you know, what that review came from? And is this your competition trying to do that? Or is it really an issue? So, yeah, I was just kind of curious about that. Yeah, for us, for Captera, um, we have about, I think we're at about 1.4 million reviews right now, software reviews. Um, and of those, we have a super 
um, intense, highly scrubbed um, QA process on the back end of our reviews um, to make sure that we screen out anything that looks automated, like a bot that's that's creating those on the back end, anything that looks like the the kind of I won't say the wrong demographic, but if it's coming from like a niche country where we don't actually do business or um, where software is not available or um, just we, we do, we have a very robust QA process to make sure that um, we scrub. I think we throw out something like 30% of our reviews because they don't pass a sniff test because we really want to make sure. And it's not, and they're not positive or negative. We don't care because we don't sell the products ourselves. We just provide a platform to share the reviews. And so it's not about whether they're good reviews or bad. It's about whether they are authentic. Um, and, uh, and so we spend a lot of time on that. In fact, we work with Gartner as well to make sure that the Gartner Pure Insights product has the similar, um, you know, uh, integrity and authenticity um, just to make sure that, you know, people ha- can trust what they're reading. Got it. Got it. No, that makes sense. So if I'm somebody who is not on the platform where I'm thinking about, you know, the reviews, you know, as a means for us to generate credibility, branding and so forth, um, how would I get started on it? And how would I even think about getting those reviews or initial, you know, whatever, the seed reviews so that, you know, I don't look empty or my reviews just like there are two reviews on it? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, we tend to, um, you know, when we started our businesses, we tried to collect reviews at volume, right? It was any way and every way that we could find potential users of products. So what we started with was the vendors. Like we would say, we'd work with Salesforce and say, hey, Salesforce, um, we'll help execute a reviews campaign, but can you distribute it to your distribution list? So that you can get, because your distribution list is most likely people who have used Salesforce, positive or negative, they have used it. And so we would partner with them. We generate the campaign. It's a free service we offer for them. And then we execute it to their distribution list on their behalf. And then people write reviews. We get some critical mass. So at the beginning, it was all about volume. Um, Now, once we hit a million reviews, we were like, coverage is much more important. We want to make sure that we have at least 10 plus reviews for every single product in our catalog. And so at that point, then it was about getting really, really targeted and saying, hey, this is a high volume category with a lot of products in it, but we don't have enough reviews per product to give people enough information to make that decision or enough to even um, automate, I would say, uh, reviews insights. Because the other thing we like to do with it is look at the collection of reviews and sort of extract the themes and insights from that to be able to drive content that's essentially user generated, but it's been sort of rolled up uh, collectively. So you can kind of get to a summary at one time. Um, And so we got to that point, then it was much more sort of like targeted kind of fish in a barrel type versus just casting a big broad net. Um, But I do think we don't scale, we don't launch a new category um, until we have enough products and reviews in that category to make it meaningful for a buyer to use. It's part of why our strategy is different um, than, than, you know, some of our competitors and the fact that our priority is to help our buyers run the right software to meet their needs and grow their business. And so in doing that, that means that we're not skewing them towards certain products where we make more money or not. We're not um, skewing them in a direction where we have less reviews or more reviews. We want to make sure that they have the as much information as they need to make the right decision. 
um, which I think has been really helpful for us. Got it. Got it. So I think switching a gear a little bit on this, that, you know, for you is as a, as a means to figure out who are the right vendors, who you can help with your platform, because you have three different properties with that serves three different needs. Maybe if, before I go there, maybe you can explain to our listeners like three different properties and what's, what's the purpose for these three different properties. Sure. So uh, yes, we have three Captera, GetApp and software advice. They were all individual businesses and Gartner bought them over the last four or five years at three different times. Um, all of them have a generally similar purpose, though they are targeting buyers and executing a little differently. So the general means is to help small and medium businesses find the right software and services to meet their needs and grow their business. Um, and so we have crowdsourced technology reviews and insights um, and a ton of content and data that serve as resources through your full software buying journey. So the idea is to help buyers kind of move through that process to narrow down to a short list of what's the right products that they want to consider buying for accounting or e-commerce or HR or marketing or whatever tools they need. Um, we have three for a number of reasons. One, because they, uh, the main reason is because they offer three different um, kind of experiences. So for Captera, Captera is typically a business where um, our buyers are probably not necessarily high tech experts, um, but they're savvy enough to do it themselves. And so they uh, they're kind of willing to go through a certain amount of data and narrow down to a short list. They don't want to go through thousands of options. They want to go through the top five or the top seven and kind of narrow down from there. So we have the largest product catalog across Captera. 700 categories, 500,000 products, you know, 1.4 million reviews. Um, and so it covers pretty much every category that they could need in the software space. Um, and so that's what they really focus on. The software advice side is, um, is a little bit different model. Software advice is um, more of a guided experience. We have a team of advisors who actually get on the phone with our buyers. They spend 10, 15 minutes, ask them a few questions, and they're able to say, hey, based on your needs, based on your industry, based on the problem you're trying to solve, here's the four or five uh, solutions that we recommend. And then we connect them with those vendors um, to help them. And they are, and so we're able to qualify them for our vendors. Um, and vendors love that. And then GetUp is a little bit different. GetUp is, um, tends to be focused more on a, um, a higher tech audience, a more software savvy audience who has more complex questions like, um, how does this software integrate with the rest of my tech stack? What are the security protocols on this software to ensure that I'm SOX compliant or whatever the different security protocols are? Um, and so that's what, um, uh, that, that's kind of the difference there. And so our GetUp market has a subset of the products, has certain categories. They tend to lead more towards SaaS. Um, than sort of your standard desktop applications. So those are kind of the three different uh, different products. They have different content, different um, you know different product sets, um, some shared reviews across them because the reviews to me are um, somewhat of a universal. It doesn't really matter which product you have, you can find the same reviews on each. Um, but you know it helps us have sort of three times the business in the market, three times the listings on the SERP, um, all of that as well. Got it. Got it. Sorry, so I disrupted the trend of uh, thought before. What I was asking was <laughs> that how how do you 
you know, figure out which vendor to target or, or you know, in, in, not vendor, but which customers, you know, can use what platform and how you can essentially help them. So mm-hmm. is this some kind of ABM campaign you guys go through internally to figure out which are the right vendors for what right platform that you can help and how do you target them? Yes. On our vendor marketing side of the house, we use um, account-based marketing. So um, this is the side, just to uh, clarify on the business. So this is the side of marketing that focuses on finding the right software vendors to list on our sites and collect reviews on our sites for our buyers to find. So we uh, we do a few things. We sort of build, um, we used to kind of go broad strokes. We weren't investing in it. We kind of just went organic, posted things out there, um, hoped that it picked up some organic traffic, maybe was present at a show or an event or something. But that was really about it. But this year, we um, we started with account-based marketing. And what we are doing there is we really defined our target account list. And that was defined by, um, one, uh, traffic. So at the end of the day, what are buyers looking for the most? Um, and so you can imagine in March, right, video conferencing, remote collaboration, those are all the things that spiked and they hadn't spiked in the past. And so all of a sudden we were like, whoa, hurry up. Those, our target list was all about, let's get as much coverage in that area as possible because people were looking for that kind of a solution. Um, and so depending on the times, you know, we look at buyer data, but wherever the most, the majority of the buyer data is, that's where we want to get the vendors. One, it's a compelling value prop to our vendors to say, hey, you missed out on 50,000 buyers today who are looking for an e-commerce solution that you could have had. Um, And on the other side, it just makes sure that we're servicing our buyers in the best possible way. So we do that. And then we look at propensity to spend. We can tell how vendors are spending, at least in the common marketplace. We can see how much they're spending on Google search um, or in paid social. We can see some things on where their spend levels are. And based on that, we're able to say, hey, this is a vendor who's willing to spend to acquire leads. And therefore, we can be another lead source for them. Um, And so those are kind of the ways that we do it. And then coverage, um, similar to the reviews, we want to make sure that we have enough vendors in each category, at least primarily the big categories, but in all the categories to make sure that we have a competitive marketplace and that we're giving vendor or we're giving buyers as much, you know, options as we can. Got it. Got it. There's so much to talk about this topic. I think we can probably talk for two more hours, you know, on this topic. <laughs> Such an exciting topic, but uh, I guess uh, you know we have to keep it confined to to our stipulated time. Kelly, who would be a couple people you would recommend that we bring on the podcast? Think about um, that one. I think um, I would reach out to John Taylor. He's the chief marketing officer at uh, AMD. Um, I don't know if you've watched their stock this year <laughs> or in the past two years. I will I'm a stock say order. I, I left uh, five years ago and I think I sold out at a dollar eighty, and they're at eighty-five bucks today. I think <laughs> um, they have just skyrocketed. I mean, I think their roadmap is so solid. The way they've carved out a niche against Intel and in the gaming space is just phenomenal. They've beat Intel now on performance. I think they're just doing some incredible, incredible things. John Taylor's been the CMO through all of that. Um, I think he would be incredible not only to talk about how PR and communications actually affects a lot of um, the way that we're growing marketing, but also just where, I mean, same kind of theme, right? Like product is king. Data is king. If you can build the right product to satisfy the largest market, 
you are going to win. And AMD, you know, they had a long, a long view. It wasn't an overnight success. When I left, they said, you know, 2017, 2018 is going to be amazing. And they were right. And they've continued to, to ride it since then because of just great product roadmap. So I think, um, I think John would be a great one to talk to. He's the main one I can think of. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal. I mean, as a, as a stock owner, I'm, I'm very, very happy with what they have done. Yes. I think COVID, COVID definitely helps. I, I was just listening this morning. I think the PC sales have gone up by 15%. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's highest it has been like since 2010 because previously, you know, we all had one machine and now everybody's working mm-hmm. from home. So, you know, you at least need a couple machines, one for work and one for home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything couldn't align better. I mean, the world, you know, is now depending more on graphics than they've ever had before. And with the the acquisition that they did of um, of Radeon Graphics a few years ago, made such is that right, Radeon? Um, a few years ago, it's huge uh, win. Gaming, such a big area where it's growing like crazy. Even advertising is going in through gaming. It's a huge influencer market. And then, of course, to your point, COVID and working remote and all the things that that require of your PC and home office, like uh, they just sort of work themselves into a perfect sweet spot. And uh, it's been a really fun ride to watch. Fantastic. Well, Kelly, I'm sure people are going to have a lot of questions for you because I think this is a new age or new way of marketing. You know, a lot of people don't know how to do that, including ourselves. I mean, we, we have been struggling with this, how to do reviews and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, if people want to connect with you, ask you questions, or, you know, maybe at least, you can direct them to the right people within the company who can guide them, coach them, help them. What's the best way to connect with you? Uh, I would say LinkedIn is probably the best way. Um, You can uh, just follow, but you can also connect with me there, message me, ask me questions. Um, I'm fairly active and engaged. So I'm happy if I see questions come in, I'm happy to respond there. That's what I would recommend. It's Kelly Kelly Hopping, H-O-P-P-I-N-G. Okay. Awesome. Kelly, thank you so much for being on our show. Really enjoyed having you on a podcast. Have a great day. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers. 